Welcome to Melanated Discussions, a podcast about indulging in blackness, connecting Ohio State students and Columbus community members. It is our goal to bridge the gap between black Ohio State students and the Columbus community with engaging conversations on various impactful topics that concern the greater black community. Our conversations hope to equip you with amazing resources in the Columbus community while learning more about the amazing people that make our community. Today's episode is a special episode in which we will indulge in the founding and we'll discuss the longevity of the Undergraduate Black Caucus within our undergraduate student government. Joining us on our program are two very special guests, Ms. Amanya Page, a fourth-year student at Ohio State, majoring in strategic communication and sociology with a minor in leadership studies. Also joining us is Kendra Aciadu, a recent graduate of The Ohio State University, holding a bachelor's degree in international relations and affairs and women's gender and sexuality studies. Before we get to our guest in the interview, first some background about the founding of the Undergraduate Black Caucus. The Black Caucus within the undergraduate student government came out of protest. In early February of 2020, the undergraduate student government failed to recognize Black History Month at a cabinet meeting that was held at a black cultural space. Such failure spawned great protest and mighty action spearheaded by black women and queer people, the story of which you will hear in this interview. The next day, members of Black Ohio State took over the General Assembly meeting of the undergraduate student government. And from there, a movement was spawned. In March of 2020, the Undergraduate Black Caucus was created via resolution within the USG General Assembly, and the first full year was launched in August of 2020. Since then, the Black Caucus has seen an exponential growth in membership and has made its mark on not only the campus community, but the broader Ohio State community at large. Mrs. Page and ACA do will now take us through the story of the creation of the Black Caucus, those early days, initiatives the Black Caucus has undertaken, and finally they'll leave us with what they feel is the legacy of the Black Caucus. With that, we'll dive into our interview. Thank you, ladies, for joining us. Amanya, I'll start with you. And if you could take us back to 2019, 2020, before COVID, when we was all still outside, when stuff was popping, and take us back into USG during that time, what it was like when you first came in, what the composition of membership was like at the senior level and throughout the diversity or lack thereof, and just talk about that environment and that atmosphere. Sure. So I guess getting a history or background and how I even came into USG, I came into Ohio State in fall of 2019. And so just with anything at Ohio State, everything is a competition, which means that there's a lengthy application process that is taking place for pretty much any organization that you want to join that is relatively large. Um, so USG had an application process in my freshman year, uh, fall semester, I had applied to USG and I was 
was not accepted to the organization. And so at the time, the senior director of operations, I had a conversation with her and just trying to figure out what were the qualms with my application? Um, what could I do to improve? Because I knew that I would apply again. And so she went through my application and said the question that kind of deterred them from accepting me was about our passion. So you were able to write about any passions that you may have. And so I wrote about the school to prison pipeline. And so it was in that moment that I realized that the undergraduate student government at that time wasn't ready for a change maker. And so I decided to take a step back from the executive branch side of things and decided to move forward with the legislative branch. And so I saw that there was a vacancy for an on-campus senator, and I was able to exercise my right as a student to apply for that position. And so I was able to co in front of the General Assembly at the time and just give a speech about why I'm interested in this role and how I can navigate within this role, why I feel I'm qualified in that General Assembly, uh, believe that my qualifications aligned with the needs of the General Assembly at that time. Um, and at that point, I was a part of the undergraduate student government through the legislative branch. So I was able to apply for the executive branch again in spring semester and was accepted. And so my first executive board meeting, or not executive board meeting, but the general body meeting was the first week of February. And so that was the first time that I have seen through my, I guess at that point, semester of being at Ohio State where they had hosted a meeting in Hale Hall. And so Hale Hall historically has been a safe space for Black students to congregate and to just share in community and so it's a very sensitive and, and pain point for a lot of Black students on campus when we realize that students who or organizations that are not affiliated with a marginalized background are utilizing that space in the first place. I think that's a pain point for a lot of Black students on campus. But in addition to that, the fact that the undergraduate student government was using that space in the first week of February, I think every Black person for the most part in that room was like, oh, okay, th what a great start for Black History Month. They're going to recognize Black History Month. They're going to pay homage to the space. In, in the environment that we're in. And so we went through the 45-minute cabinet meeting. We went to breakouts. There was absolutely no acknowledgement for Black History Month. Not a word, not a slide, not anything. And so my freshman self just went up to the front and talked to the chief of staff and president. And I said, well, you guys are in Hale Hall and you all didn't recognize Black History Month. Like, do you guys have any intentions of recognizing Black History Month? And it was at that point that the chief of staff looked at me in my face and told me that they do not recognize months that are not recognized by the MCC. So the MCC recognizes World Black Month, United World, United Black, World Black Month. I think yes, so they recognize United World Black Month, which is different than Black History Month. So that was USG's justification as to not recognize Black History Month. I had absolutely no clue about any policies, procedures, but it was told to me that it's not within the policies and procedures for USG to recognize Black History Month. And so coming from a non-USG background, once again, coming fresh into the executive branch side of things, I said, this is not going to work. And so I got together with several other Black activists within the General Assembly and within just the general BOSU community, and we cultivated a community and was able to communicate our concerns. This is what happened. What are we going to do about it? And so from there, um, the Black students were able to organize and host one of the largest protests that the union has seen for the undergraduate student government to express our concerns about the fact that you all are not recognizing Black History Month. And so we 
occupy the entire meeting. We closed down the union with public testimony, with having over 50 people speak on their experiences, not just with the undergraduate student government, but also being a Black student at Ohio State. And so after that protest had occurred and we had maxed out capacity in every room on the third floor, we were able to come back and say, okay, so that was nice. That was cool. Protesting is nice. But what are we going to do now that the protest has happened, that the concerns have been raised? What are the next steps? And so we ended up coming together and, and having several meetings with the BOSU community. And for reference, BOSU was the Black Ohio State community. And we were just asking, what do you all want to see? And they said, we need a Black caucus. And so we started dissecting what does a Black caucus look like? What does that structure look like in the undergraduate student government? Because there was not a single Black person on senior staff. And senior staff makes the decisions for the undergraduate student government. And so that in and of itself was an issue. When we started to really tear apart allocations, we realized that Black organizations disproportionately were not funded for their programming and events in comparison to any other marginalized community on campus. And so we realized in that moment that we needed a space that was going to not only last in the short term, but the long term as well. So that's where the Undergraduate Black Caucus came from. But that's also kind of the climate that we were coming in in 2020. Yes, thank you for that. Ooh, you took me back a couple, <laughs> couple of years, took me back, really. But talk more about that feeling when those two young women who shall remain nameless told you that it was not in their processes to recognize Black History Month because of that. To talk about just briefly in that moment what you felt just as a Black student, as a Black woman, as a student in general, just how you felt in that particular moment? Yeah, I would say that it was a mix of shock and anger, because I am originally from Prince George's County, Maryland, and that is a predominantly Black community. And so I came from a space that uplifted, empowered, encouraged Black people to go reach their dreams and to accomplish what you would never fathom would be possible. And so to come to a space where now my culture isn't even recognized, my culture isn't even a thought process when you're in a space that was designed for us. When I'm thinking about how when I visited Ohio State, Mr. Williamson at the time, who was the director of the Hale Center, said, this is where you'll be. This is where we are. And so to know that before I even came to Ohio State, that was a determining factor. Is there a strong Black community on this campus? And to know that Hill Hall was my safe space, to know that the Black students at Ohio State were a tight-knit community and that's where we congregate, and to know that that space was violated, I feel like that space in, in and of itself, where it happened, impacted me more than the fact that it did happen. And that doesn't take away from the fact that it happened, but in that moment, I automatically thought, wow, expectation didn't meet reality and now I'm really disappointed <laughs> so I had to wrestle with that disappointment and anger and shock and then after I kind of sorted through all of that I said what are we going to do about it and then talk about that process too and, and some of the people that you worked with in organizing that protest and the general organization of the protest the people that you worked with and that Wednesday night, which I know for us lives in infamy, but for folks that do not know, talk about the, the environment that night and that general thing. 
Sure. So that night we ended cabinet and the way that USG is structured, you have 30 to 45 minutes of a cabinet meeting, which is the entire general body of the undergraduate student government. And then you have your breakout sessions. At the time, there was no black caucus. So where most of the black people went was a committee called diversity, equity and inclusion. And so the chair of that committee at the time was Osei Argon. And I had absolutely no clue who Osei was. I knew them relatively through Senate chamber but I had no clue about anyone in the undergraduate student government. So when I tell you I was coming in from a very blank slate, all I knew I was angry and that something needed to be done. And so I was able to connect with OSE and the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, who was very pivotal in helping to write this legislation to figure out how to navigate through this process. They had that systemic knowledge to know how to navigate USG. So being able to work with that committee, being able to work with OSE, and then connecting with several other people in the community. Um, Destiny Brown, who was very influential in governmental relations within USG. Nora Parsons, who was very influential within USG as well. And then Roya Higazi, who was also very influential. We were all working together to try to get this done. And so that's kind of who the direct points of contact I thought of immediately when I was asking, where do I go? I automatically went to DE&I based on the experiences that I had with USG thus far. And then I would be remiss to say that it wasn't a collective effort. If the BOSU community didn't show up on that Wednesday evening, we would not have a Black caucus. It's our organization, our collective desire for something more that yielded to this. Because if we didn't have power in numbers and power in our voice, then we wouldn't have what we have right now. So I'd be remiss to say that though those individual people contributed significantly to the creation of the Undergraduate Black Caucus and creation of the legislation, which now mandates the undergraduate student government to recognize not only Black History Month, but every cultural month, whether or not it's recognized by the Multicultural Center or not, it was also the Black community. And to the Black community, we'll go to Kendra. So my first question to you is, when did you first join USG? So I directly joined USG as a result of Black Caucus. I wasn't able to physically be at the protest because I had work at the time. It was the beginning of COVID because this protest happened in February while OSU shut down in March, that second week of March after our spring break. So through the advocacy of Manya, Destiny, Ose, I saw there was an opportunity to join the Black Caucus within our BOSU group chat. So I was very, I'm trying to figure out the correct word to say this, but I was very, and I don't want to say like surprised, but I just felt very connected to the community in that moment, especially through the advocacy that these group of change makers were making. So I said, why not? Specifically because I wanted to help and improve that connection between students at Ohio State and facets of power that do regulate our academics, that do regulate our student experience, that do regulate how we connect with the Columbus community. Similar to Amania's experience, I didn't immediately get in. <laughs> Rather, OSE, they called me and they said, your application stood out instead of doing student experience, how about you consider doing community relations with the aim of connecting the Black community at OSU to the Black community within Columbus. And a lot of times, Ohio State students, we are within the Columbus community, but we do get stuck within the bubble of what is Ohio State because it is a large institution with a lot of resources. Even though not as much resources go back to Black students as they should, 
they do have resources. So that's what really got me into the Black Caucus, that outreach from Osei and their outlook on connecting both communities a little bit more, especially because we were losing that connection a little bit because of COVID specifically. Thank you for that. And did you have any initial reactions when you heard about the protest, about the failure to recognize with any initial reactions that you had? It was hyped. <laughs> I knew about Black Times. I knew about USG, I guess my sophomore year of my admittance. And a lot of within that political science major, um, I studied uh, international studies, and a lot of students were like, oh, you join USG if you want to really go into government. They used it more as a stepping stone of experience rather than actually trying to be change makers and the experiences of students. And a lot of students that said those phrases were white. <laughs> For them, it was a stepping stone of experience because they really didn't have to conceptualize any marginalized identities, how they encounter academia, and how that affects their future. So a lot of that space of USG, from what I heard, from what people usually said, where USG was white, and that's how it was. So to know that there were people in that space like Amanya, they were like, okay, but these people govern everything that we do, and the fact that they're stepping into our space, our safe space, especially at Hill, and not recognizing one of the if not one of the littest months ever, <laughs> this is our new year. This is where the new year starts. To not recognize the power and the impact of Black history in a Black space for a powerful organization that governs everything that undergraduate students does, it was liberating. It was USG needed to hear this because they were not doing everything that they could do for all of their students, not just a population of them, not just for their alumni, but all of their students. And that was the greatest thing ever. I was watching the Zoom link from work and it was just to see Black leader after Black leader, Black student after Black leader. After, it was just liberating. It was amazing to see the collective just come together and really show structures of power that there's power in numbers, but there's also power in just our community, period. You can't ignore that power, no matter how much you want to. And so now back to Amanda. Fast forward a month. It's March 2020. You all are presenting the resolution to formally change the bylaws to apportion the Black Caucus. Was there any resistance to it? And if so, describe that resistance. Absolutely. Despite the overwhelming support of the legislation that created the Undergraduate Black Caucus with the appendix of changing our constitution and bylaws to ensure that the Black Caucus is created. Because once again, our goal wasn't just to be a short-term committee. Our goal was to make sure that we had long-term change. And so in order to do that, there needed to be some systemic changes within the writing element of it. There was a couple of senators that definitely pushed back. I was still in the General Assembly at that point. I vividly remember someone asking, well, why don't we have a white caucus? And so at that moment, I understood that the holes that were gaping within the undergraduate student government was the comfortability with the status quo. Because for a comment like that to be made means that there is no awareness of the current composition of the undergraduate student government, which is a predominantly white student organization till this day, though there is a lot of progress in regards to the composition, it is still a predominantly white organization. And so to understand that 
that was the comeback. That was the response to this type of resolution and discussion portion was very disheartening. The fact that it was a question was very disheartening. So despite the pushback and despite the comments and the ignorance that was perpetuated in the room, we were able to pass the resolution because we did have overwhelming support in favor of the resolution. So now Black Caucus is created, and this question is for both of y'all, as you all comprised that original leadership under OSE. Fall 2020, going into that time, what were your initial hopes for the Black Caucus? What it would be, what we would do, and et cetera? I can go first. What it would be specifically, I was unsure. I'm going to be very honest. At that moment, OSU had already sent us home since March. We were not in school. We were attending classes virtually. A lot of staple programming that would have happened uh, for the Black community, such as events like Mahogany Moments, African Night, those big, big staple moments that really brought the community together weren't happening. <laughs> they were delayed because we were all online. We were doing school from either at home, from a dorm room, and we weren't able to have that collective community that we would typically have in person and now is virtual. But I viewed at least the founding of the Black Caucus as a first and a gateway to really breaking down the governmental relations between Black students and other students and other student populations. And from what we even saw, the protests that Black students had really did empower other students of color to come to the undergraduate student government and say, hey, like you have to make collective changes to help us be minority. This is a student organization that represents all students and you need to represent all students better. And we've seen that over the last three years because of the power that Black Caucus has. So, even though I was unsure about my own even vision of what Black Caucus would be to this day in its present moment, as Amanya even said, it was meant to be a change maker. It was meant to be a staple and empowerment for students of marginalized backgrounds to really stand on their power against systems of power that do oppress them at this large college institution. So I would say, yeah, probably my view more like of the Black Caucus was supposed to be that staple change maker, that space of you can come here for a safe space, but you can also come here for support to be that change maker that you want to see all across campus. Absolutely. And I piggyback off of that to say that my role within the undergraduate Black Caucus was vice chair of systems and operations. So my whole scope, my whole committee, shout out to SNO, was literally geared towards longevity. How can we make sure this stays forever so that when we come back for our 10-year reunion, our 20-year reunion, we're able to see how great and how big and how amazing the undergraduate Black student government or undergraduate Black caucus in the undergraduate student government has become. And so a lot of the work that I had done that year was more so geared towards setting us up to ensure that we are able to stay. And that meant collaborations with the Black Alumni Society for Ohio State. It looked like creating connections within student life so that way people in the future are able to monopolize or really use those connections to the best of their abilities to propel the success of the caucus. 
and several other things just to ensure that we have written documentation for how the Black Caucus is supposed to go. What are our roles and responsibilities? What do those look like? What do committee compositions look like? Our committee was the first committee to create what an application process was. Do we want to do it in collaboration with USG? Do we want our own? What do those questions look like? What are the matrix to determine who is accepted within the undergraduate Black Caucus? So a lot of the things that I was thinking about when coming into this role and when coming into the first year of Black Caucuses how do we keep it to stay or make it to stay? So that's kind of where my mind was at the entire year. <laughs> it was just strategy and longevity. Yes. Um, oh, since I'm on... oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I do want to add this. And when Amadia says strategy, if you need somebody to ever put you on, make sure that your plan and strategy is there. It's Amadia. It is Miss Amadia Page. It is. She was fantastic the first year. And then her second year, she was the chair and she continued that fantastic work. And now we're at our third year thriving. So I'm just so grateful that I got to work with somebody as amazing as Amanya, as amazing as her team, but as amazing as Amanya. Oh, wow. That's a lot of alliteration. Thank you, Kendra. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> and also, Kendra, talk about how the Community Relations Committee shaped and evolved from that first year to its second year? Absolutely. So I remained the chair for community relations for two years because that first year was a little bit more rocky with COVID and a lot of the programming being online and a lot of students were burnt out. They would go to classes online. Even a lot of community members were burnt out. They would go to events online, have their meetings online, and then they have to come to any extracurricular activities that were online. And it was just a lot. So for that first year, it was a little bit rocky. Really shout out to Mr. Williamson. And ooh, I am forgetting. She was the former African-American advisor for the MCC. Oof, I am forgetting her name. Catherine. Yes, Catherine Betts. Mr. Williamson and Catherine Betts really kept me going in the aspect of community relations to make sure I was still reaching out to the community, to make sure I was still establishing connections with Black student organizations and with Columbus Black organizations. Um, so that first year was a little bit rougher, um, especially because we were trying to create our footing as community relations. Over that second year, when we were partially hybrid, that's really when community relations was able to go into full swing. We were able to have that incorporation of those Zoom meetings and have those in-person events. We had our first event in April with four Columbus City Schools, and we had them come to Ohio State for an all-day school event where students were able to listen to Black student organizations and Black student leaders, learn more about Ohio State, learn about each individual college, all the way from John Glenn to the Engineering College, and learn more about the processes that it takes to get into Ohio State and the avenues that you can take to get into Ohio State, and the financial aid that students may need to even attend the university. With that being said, my predecessor, she's doing amazing work and she's really taking off the annual events that we created because the, the student event is happening this April as well. But from that two-year foundation of, yes, it was a little bit rocky in the beginning, especially because that was the first year in the first year of founding for the Black Caucus, that second year really was a revitalization with everybody coming in person, with the Black Caucus being able to establish its own identity, its own community culture, and its own system of operations. And now this third year is seeing community relations and the entirety of the Black Caucus thrive in different ways with different leaders as well. And to both of you, talk about some of the most 
important or the most fulfilling accomplishments or events that Black Caucus has done since its founding? Yes, I automatically thought of the Black Entrepreneur event that we had hosted where we were able to give out $1,000 to Black entrepreneurs that were students at Ohio State. They were able to come and give a pitch. It was a pitch competition. So they gave their pitches for their business. They were able to ask questions from people that work at Ohio State in the business realm, very accredited and invaluable people that can give you feedback, along with uh, people who work in the Columbus community, were able to come in and just give feedback in a space that is so safe and so welcoming, uh, how to make your pitch better, how to enhance your business proposition, then also create your business identity with also an incentive as well, because a lot of that money could go towards getting an LLC or providing resources so that you can grow your business. And so that was probably one of my favorite events, even till this day is my favorite events. And it's something that has become a staple for our student experience committee as they're currently hosting one within this academic year? I'm going to be biased and I'm woman enough to admit that. So I do have two. So one is an external event and specifically it, to me, it is that student um, collaboration event with Columbus City Schools. I loved meeting those high schoolers, having them come to Ohio State. We got to feed them, thank God. And they were able to interact with our um, NPC, oh my God, I'm about to, our Panhellenic Council. MPHC. MPHC. Girl, you know I was going to mess up the, the acronym. Our panel at council with other Black leaders, they got to talk to Lambda. They got to meet with, well, it's now it's the Center of Students Belonging and... Center for Belonging and Social Change. You are very, y'all are very on top of it. I love y'all both. <laughs> uh, so they got to meet current Ohio State students that can mentor them in the future and they got to connect with them. I even have some high schoolers that reach out to me and they were like, hey, could like we shadow you for one day? Could you tell me more about this application process and such like that, which was really just insightful to be a part of. I was just really excited that, hey, like I can directly help these students, one, become a high State alumni, but really be integrated into the Black community that sometimes people miss out on when they first come to college, especially if they're first-generation students. So to me, that was really one of the most impactful ones for me externally. Internally, the one that was most impactful for me was the first Black Caucus retreat, specifically because it was so much camaraderie. It was so Black, and I just loved every aspect of it. We were cooking breakfast together, and it was the sweetest thing ever. I learned about the gangster slide from Chicago, and I didn't even know that was a thing. So... <laughs> We got to compete against each other and we got to build more of our identity and our culture internally, which was really impactful to me. And I loved it so much. So those are the most impactful events that I think that Black Caucus has done. One more question towards Amanda. You touched on it a little bit, but if you would touch on it slightly more is how do you think Black Caucus coming from a place of resistance in terms of its founding has impacted the organization and its members. Sure. So I think that the Undergraduate Black Caucus has changed the game for the undergraduate student government, not only in centering Black student voices, concerns, and just their general disposition and knowing how to serve them better, the leadership has changed as well. 
the past couple of years, we have seen that our leadership looks a lot different. When it comes to composition and senior leadership, it is not just the chair of the undergraduate Black Caucus, which is great news because you never want to be the only one. I'm very passionate about not being the only person in the room, not being the first and the last. And so it is so important to know that our work has changed the trajectory for the undergraduate student government for the better for the rest of time. And in that same breath, I think the way that we serve looks different too because you are now able to have a greater understanding of the most marginalized community on campus. And when you serve and you create policies, you create programs and events with the most marginalized in mind, everybody's going to be served really well. And so that's kind of how I've seen the undergraduate student government change, but then also their intentionality behind being culturally competent. It's now not, oh, I'm just going to say whatever I want. It's let me think before I speak. Let me ask to see whether or not this is okay or this is sensitive. What are the ways that we can include more people? The first thing that I thought of was when we held the event for Black inaccessibility. And so we were able to host a panel and Kendra was able to lead that as well. People who have disabilities on campus that also identify as Black. How do we serve that intersection? So I feel like now we're a more intersectional organization rather than just compartmentalized. And some closing questions to both of you. How important is it that we emphasize the role that Black women and Black queer people played in the founding and the sustainability of this organization? It's honestly beyond important. And just as Amania said, that intersectionality and that recognition of intersectional perspectives when it comes to programming, when it comes to initiatives, when it comes to policy, is always going to be important to make sure that you're serving all people. If you specifically strategize policy initiatives, events around those most marginalized people, not only are the people with the most power educated, but at the same time, now they're more conscious to take upon those perspectives of those communities in everything that they do. It is God, I'm, I'm trying to think of the English word for it because I could think about it in Spanish for some reason. It is fundamental that these types of communities are really centered in these big institutional decisions because those types of communities are the first ones who are going to be left out when it comes down to the implementation of these decisions. And once you short sight that community, all of a sudden, policy in itself becomes void. Yes, you're going to have to tweak policy. It's not always going to be perfect, and that's okay. But if you're intentionally not recognizing the most marginalized or the other intersectional perspectives of communities with whatever you're doing on a large structural and systematic scale, then you're just ignoring a population almost intentionally. And people of color and queer and those types of communities have always been change makers in everything that they do, especially because they are the most marginalized, even outside of the academic spaces. So are Black women, Black queer people being those change makers are the central people who should be making these types of decisions, who should be putting these types of policy forward, who should be moving such organizations because they recognize the oppressions of different systems in the worldwide sense that they're able to bring it back home and make it work better for their community. So yeah, it's very important that Black queer people and Black women are at the center of it. They're the most marginalized within our societies. And Black people with disabilities too. They are often forgotten when discussed. 
Absolutely. And I would also add that those identities are etched into Black Caucus's history for the rest of time. There's no removing that history. There's no changing that fact. It is always going to be part of that history. In addition to that, it not only manifests itself in leadership, but in the composition of Black Caucus. From day one, our priority was to make sure that all Black people are at the forefront. And I think a lot of times in our community, we get so divided based on our identities and the intersections of our identities, but being Black is diverse. There is so much diversity and beauty within our community. And so the Undergraduate Black Caucus prides itself on that diversity and will continue to do so. I mean, if you look at our numbers, if you look at our demographic composition, though it is Black people, it is all types of Black people. And so that will always be centered and always be made a priority in recruitment and retention in our inclusive environment within the actual caucus. When it's all said and done, what will the legacy of Black Caucus be? When it's all said and done, it's going to be a space, and it is a space, where Black students can feel comfortable, safe, and included to just be themselves. So often on this campus, we have to assimilate. We have to code switch. We have to act differently in order to rise up to the occasion. And this is one of the few spaces where you don't have to. You don't have to put up a front. If you're having a bad day and we're doing our check-ins, you can say you're not having a good day and our leadership will take that into consideration. There have been so many times when Ose has been a chair, when I've been a chair, where if the majority of people are saying, oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm so burnt out. Oh, I'm so X, Y, and Z. We'll just say, okay, that's the end of the meeting. Thanks. I'm glad we had our check-in. I go, I hope you guys get some sleep. That's how we run our caucuses because it is so important to center people. And a lot of times people say they center people, but Black Caucus centers people. And that's the key difference. And that's the legacy that we want to leave. It's the legacy of caring about who we are and making sure that we create a space that creates an environment that we can be who we are. I honestly can't articulate it any more beautifully than Amanya just said. The also the safe space that we are going to continue to be and that's it that's all <laughs> and there you have it a remarkable story of protest heroism and triumph a story of black history a story of black history we wish to formally thank Ms. Amanya Page and Ms. Kendra Siedu for their participation in this program, and we thank you all for tuning in to Melanated Discussions. If you would like to pitch questions, speakers, topics, or learn more about the Black Caucus, please visit the Black Caucus's Instagram at OSU Black Caucus. That's B-L-A-C-K-C-A-U-C-U-S. Again, that's at OSU Black Caucus. Today's episode was produced by Kendra Siedu and Shauna Burks, hosted by Yandris Ferguson, audio engineered by Manuel Wilson, written by Sabria Abdullah, Billen Garay, and Daisy Asante. Our videographer is Juliet Campbell, and our senior advisor is Kyla Brathwaite.